You are listening to Moisture Festival Podcast. Welcome to the Moisture Festival Podcast, folks. I am Mr. Matthew Baker, and I perform a weird comedy and stunt show. And I'm Louis Fox. Uh, in the festival, you know me uh, performing hand shadow puppets, but I'm also, my day job is I'm a magician. Yeah, we are both been performing at the Moisture Festival for a number of years, and this podcast is dedicated to peeling back the curtain and giving you a glimpse of some of the performers, the talent, the people, the volunteers, and the board of directors that make this festival possible. I think you'll be amazed at all the work that goes into making the festival possible, too. It's not just a bunch of people showing up and doing a show. They're building a community, which you can actually help sponsor and support through donations. You can do that with your time or financially at moisturefestival.org, and you click the contribute link, and there's tons of information on how you can help keep the festival running. And if this is the first time you're even hearing about the Moisture Festival, congratulations, you stumbled upon (laughs) something that's amazing. But it is a four-week festival that celebrates variety arts in the Fremont neighborhood of Seattle. And let me tell you, folks, I've been a part of this for almost 13 years, and it is one of a kind. Yeah, it's actually the largest festival of its kind in the world and features some of the best entertainers, comedians, hula hoopers, whatever you can think of. (laughs) They have it. (laughs) They have it. (laughs) And it happens actually in the months of March and April. And they do have world-class variety acts, but they also have a week-long worth of burlesque show. Yeah, at a venue on the Capitol Hill neighborhood of Seattle. Mm -hmm. So if you're listening to this during the festival, be sure to get your tickets because 95% of the shows sell out. And you can get your tickets also by visiting the website moisturefestival.org. So be sure to check that out for all things Moisture Festival. On today's Moisture Festival podcast, we are on location in Berkeley, California, and are joined by one of the most successful comedian jugglers in the history of the world, and that is Dan Holzman. Yes, he's half of the juggling duel the Raspini brothers, and Dan tells us about inventing toys, performing on Johnny Carson, and writing novels. We talk with Dan about a career that has spanned over 30 years and has gone all across the world. It's a great conversation with great insights and funny stories. You're going to love it. Let's get to it. Our guest has done just about everything there is to do in show business. He has opened up for Robin Williams, Billy Crystal, Howie Mandel, Gary Shandling. He holds two Guinness World Records and has made two appearances on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno and even two appearances on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. He is a six-time TED presenter, a childhood actor, and has even done a Presidential Command performance. We're extremely excited to have my good friend and former life coach, Dan Holzman. Woo! Hey, yeah, man. Thanks for coming to Berkeley. Matt. I was most. also at San Quentin Prison for three years. Oh, really? Yeah. Nice. So you, you've you performed at the Moisture Festival as a duo and the, a solo mm-hmm. act. And how did you come about performing at the Moisture Festival? Well, I mean, we're, we're inside the community of variety performers. It's hard not to know about the Moisture mm-hmm. Festival. And uh, Tim first and I are pretty friendly. I forget how I first came about, but it's been many years. I don't know how many times I've been there. Five or six? Yeah, I think, like yeah, yeah, quite a bit. And I'm not even sure the first year. I don't really have a good memory of how I got involved in it, really, except for that it just became a thing that people did. Like you heard about it. It was a good hang. Uh, the audiences were great. I wonder if we were at one of the first or second ones. I forget. Pretty yeah. early on. Yeah. But uh, I don't think it was the very first one. You went as the Raspini brothers, mm-hmm. and you've been solo. Is What was the difference? Was there a difference with your performance during the Moisture Festival? What was What was the experience like? Well, I like doing both, and it yeah. gave me an opportunity to do both. So I would go up with Barry, and we would do the first week together, and I'd stay and do a second week oh, on nice. my own. I think I did one show where you were as the duo in it and then as a solo. 
Not in the same show. Okay. No. No, I've never done that. All right. No, I don't think that would go over very good. <laughs> like, how many times? How many acts is this Dan, guy in? Know, exactly. <laughs> they like me as an MC there, so I've MC'd quite yeah. a bit as a solo. I don't like MCing as a duo. I just think it's not really necessary to have two people do the MC role. So that becomes a bit. I think I've MCed with Barry a couple of times. I prefer doing it by myself. Mm-hmm. But I'd rather work with Barry because it's a bigger show. It's uh, easier. Yeah. Better, better response. Yeah. I mean, Respinis is a big act. And I go over well, well there, too. Mm. So it's nice to do both. Now, where does that rank on the festival or career accomplishments in the Dan Holtzman What's career? Yeah. yeah. Or, or level of fun. You know, it has a lot of good features. Uh, I don't approve of everything they're doing because I don't approve of anything anybody's doing. Uh, <laughs> as evidenced by our pre-show talk. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> but I think as far as the setup they have there, as far as the audience and... I've always been able to get places close by to stay, mm-hmm. which is nice. So I always have that nice walk along the river. To mm. the, I usually would walk there and back, you know, after the shows, which was always pleasant. Uh, the audience is, you know, what's so funny is sometimes if the audience is less than great, you, you want to go, hey, you don't get it. You're part of the attraction here. Yeah. You're part of the, we, we come here because we know they're going to be great audiences. So if you guys aren't great, <laughs> it's sort of on you. <laughs> Whatever I do, you need to be great. Yeah, because you're part of the appeal. Yeah. Is the fact that it's going to be a really oh, hot audience. Oh, it's interesting. Yeah. 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 That's a lot of pressure. So when I went out there, I was like, this is not that great. They should have a sign. When when it, when in, it, whenever the are not getting paid that much. Yeah. Be you need to be amazing. <laughs> whenever I buy a ticket to it, I, I've stressed out to be an audience member. <laughs> what do you mean? I've got to, I've got to deliver for yeah, you, the ah, performer. You should. You should. I'm, I'm stretching but before. But it's fun to watch other performers. It's fun to hang out. But people always talk about the hang. I did this gig in China and a wonderful gig. It was one of those clown festivals with all the performers. Mm. And, uh, I did a really smart thing there, too, where uh, we're at this amusement park. And they're like, okay, we want you to perform over here by the lake, out in the sun, where there's no seats or shade or people. I'm like, I don't want to do that. They're like, what? I go, I don't want to do that. I want to perform here, where it's shady, and there's lots of people, and quiet, and I can have great shows. They're like, oh, Okay. And I, it was wonderful. But it, because I, did, I worked so hard, I said, look, you want three shows? I'll do six shows. I'll do eight shows. Yeah. Because it's fun. And people would come by and they'd be in my show. Yeah. It was, every performer was in my show at one point. Wow. It became the thing of the festival. How cool is that? It was two minutes from the green room, in the shade, quiet, no wind. I go, this is the perfect space. Yeah. Why are you going to put me out in the sun? I'm going to be miserable. I'm not going to do it. And they're like, I mean, I would have done it. But I said, I don't want to do that. They're like, oh, okay. But the idea that you could just say, I don't want to do that. I don't want that stage that's going to suck out there. Man. Well, this is good. Yeah, yeah. This is the spot. This is the spot. Well, and you're saying I'll do the same amount of work just right here. More work. Yeah, I'll do more work. More work. And now there's a plaque there commemorating people that were like, conversation. Were like, they started going like, hey, can we have that spot that Dan's <laughs> Dan Holtzman. I go, that's my space. spot. That's, that was not a spot. That is my spot. <laughs> so when I was doing the introduction, uh, you were holding up fingers. Did oh, I? You inc- said I was on the, the Tonight Show twice, but it was four times total. Uh, four times, but twice with Jay Leno, twice with Johnny Carson. Yeah, once I was on, uh, the ones with Jay Leno, one time we, me and Barry did a skit where we passed torches around him. Mm. And that had to be the time I was almost the most nervous on TV. All we had to do was come out and pass torches around him while he talked about high-definition television. Uh-huh. I was backstage. My heart was Why? thumping. Because I thought, any two jugglers could do this. Like, if we drop it this, this is really silly to, mm. to make any mistakes. We're just here to juggle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We weren't talking. We weren't doing any comedy. And it put so much pressure on the juggling and the simple, we're just going to pass torches around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I started thinking, what if on that first throw, the, cor- the torch hangs up and it all kind of explodes on me? <laughs> <laughs> It'd be great. <laughs> well, it'd be great for you because you laugh at me later. But, but I was backstage. I was really nervous. interesting. Yeah. Something that you've done a million times. Well, I haven't done that a million. Well, times. I mean, juggle, you know, juggling, you know, fire clubs. Well, I mean, basically, you're doing a pass around. Yeah, we don't really do it torches very often. Uh-huh. But it's a pretty simple trick. If you ask any juggler, okay, you're going to do quick start, like ten throws of a pass around. They could got any juggler. Yeah. Time, so. Also, I think that as I've gone in my career, my nerves have worn down. Mm. That when I did my first Carson appearance, I was like ice. Literally. You, just, you knew it. You're, no, I'm, no. Just, just as a person, I had no nervous energy. Mm. Just weird. Okay. Yeah. I came out there, my heartbeat didn't even change. It didn't even raise. 
you were doing one of these, checking your pulse before you. What, I was always like that. But that's the thing. What about uh, your partner Barry? Like, was he? Was there any sort of? Well, we, we got a little nervous. I remember that it was so funny. There's a very famous African American guy who's the the curtain puller. Uh, he's been there for years. Uh-huh. I don't know his name, but he was featured on uh, the Carson podcast. He's very well known because he was there for everybody. Mm. And so we're backstage and we're goofing around, you know. And all of a sudden, it's getting closer and closer. And he, he goes, he looks at, he goes, boys. Don't tighten up now. <laughs> it really helped. Because wow. you could see us like, yeah, yeah. getting more and more nervous. Yeah, it's yeah, like, Boys, don't. I, well, I've seen everybody go through those yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. So that was, if you watch me on that show, you'll go like, looks like he's walking out. to. But I was like that. And my early, like the, yeah. the, the IGA, the, you know, my corporate shows, the TED shows. The last TED performance, I couldn't believe it. I walked out, I'm like. You're not feeling anything. I wouldn't feel anything. Just because you know the material so well? Or just because just... my, my, my personality, my nature. Yeah. But as I've gone on, it's gotten worse and worse. You do a library show and you're like, oh. Like, not a library show. But like a cruise ship or something. Yeah. Like a cruise ship where something that you have to actually be there 45 minutes. Yeah. It's a professional setting. I, would start, I start getting like really anxious about my performing. And so I didn't like that very much. Huh. I think it's because the, I think your, your nerves do wear down. Interesting. Over time. Yeah. I do. I still have nerves, you know, when I... But at first, man, I was icy. That's crazy. I was icy. Crazy. Yeah. And I've seen that appearance and it's fantastic. And It was long. Yeah. Eight it was minutes. like eight minutes. Yeah. And you had Carson, what, throw you the club? Yeah. We did the... Both times with Carson, we used him as a volunteer. Neither time did he rehearse. But both times he was a perfect volunteer. Yeah. yeah. It, but is that like a little bit worrisome going into it? You're like, our careers are sort of like hang, hanging on this appearance? No, because or? it was so funny. When I went in there, I never watched the show. I wasn't really a fan of the show. So I never stayed up late. I'm not a late night guy. Obviously, I knew who Carson was. I knew the importance of, for jugglers, Air Jazz had been on, and Michael Davis. But realistically, I just was not faced by it at all. You know, we were very lucky that it was a spring break crowd. Mm. So uh, we we were ill-advised, and I would suggest people don't do this. We opened with a very topical joke. Which now makes no sense uh-huh. at all. So I would advise. So if that, you watch it, you're like, "What?" Yeah, like they get a big laugh, but yeah. like, it was like, uh, "We're the Raspinis, and we're Beatrice." What is that? Beatrice was everything at the time. Uh-huh. It was like, "We're water, and we're Beatrice." It was like an ad slogan. Gotcha. We're milk, and we're Beatrice. Uh-huh. So it was a good line at the time. Yeah. But looking back, you're like, <laughs> so, so is that, is that the do your la- plan your late night appearances <laughs> around what's going to stick? Later, yeah. <laughs> but who knew that there would be like YouTube and before things would just disappear. Yeah. You, you go to a friend's house, they might have a VHS copy. Uh-huh. But you weren't expecting things to last forever like they do now. And he was a, he he nailed everything you needed him to do. Yeah, he knew when to he knew when to step in. He knew he the knew beats. To, the worst host, the worst ever was Harry Hamlin. Melee <laughs> Law. Remember that guy? Yeah. Hamlin? He was married to, to Lisa Renna, I think, with the big lips. Yeah. He was a stiff. Yeah, total stiff. That was the president show. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so yeah. you're trying to interact with him and he's just stiff as not board. having it. Stiff as a board, yeah. That was a good appearance for us, though. The, the president's thing was super fun. So what's the president's thing? Uh, there's a show called The Festival at the Fords. Very prestigious show every year for the president. We were like, okay, this is our big we got break. It. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we went out there, and um, it was difficult rehearsal, difficult rehearsal. I don't want to pick on Barry, but he was, I think, pretty stiff during rehearsal. Very, uh, you know, not... I, maybe I was, too. I mean, maybe this is my, my appeal from outside. But they were like, do we really have to have... The, some people actually we really have to have the jugglers on the show. Mm-hmm. Like some of the producers, like, are they going to be all right? <laughs> right, because the rehearsal was rough. Yeah. You drop in, you're yeah. not, there's no audience. Yeah. They're thinking like, oh, is this going to be a mistake with the jugglers? And we went out and we were one of the highlights of the show. Uh. Easy, easy, right? No drops, perfect performance. Had to be the proudest I've ever been Uh in the show. Wow. Because I didn't look at the president at all. But that last throw, when Barry caught the last throw, and I know we had done it, and he had done really, really well, no mistakes. It was was killer. But then the the producers called us to go, oh, we're going to have to cut you out of the show. <laughs> uh, because they really, it wasn't like just because of us. They really, you, they really focused on all the, the celebrities. And they said because of the passing and the way the act was structured, we really couldn't edit it. And we, didn't, we really couldn't show the whole thing. So unfortunately, your guys are not. Oh, gotcha. Oh. oh, that's too bad. It was too bad. But you still, you know. It was great for our, our, our reel. Oh, absolutely. Like, we still had the footage on our yeah. reel. Yeah. And you get, you get to, what, it was Reagan, right? Yeah. It was Reagan's laughing and yeah. Yeah, and we had a great shot of him in the audience. We got to meet him uh, beforehand. It was funny, uh, when we met him beforehand, there's a line. 
like a, a introduction line. So you'll get in the line, and so Barry goes first, and he, uh, he's like, what are you gonna do in the show? You know, or something like that. He goes, oh, we're jugglers. He goes, mommy, they got jugglers. <laughs> so, so Nancy next to him, because <laughs> uh, Nancy was next to him. He goes, mommy, they got jugglers. It was so much fun. Why you call him mommy? His wife. He called her mommy. <laughs> mommy, they got jugglers. <laughs> but he was actually excited. That's great. He was like, oh, jugglers. <laughs> Did he come up to you after and go, you weren't as good as Michael Davis, but. Uh, no, there was no after. But what's funny was when he was on stage, we were all lined up behind him. I kept thinking, I had two thoughts. First was, boy, his, his suit is so wrinkly in the back. Oh. It was really wrinkly. And second, I could rush out and push him. <laughs> I can take this guy down. I, can push I know how I'll get on the, the, the program. We talked about that with Carson, too. We thought, because the second appearance, we passed knives around him. We thought if we actually hit Carson with a knife, we would be the most famous jugglers in history. Oh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And how long did you guys entertain that idea? Not very. We didn't think about it until afterwards, really, oh, okay. to be honest. But then another chance we had uh, was at the O.J. Simpson jury. Mm-hmm. And we did think about saying, because they gave us no vetting at all. When okay, they, hey, back up. Okay. What did you do for the... Well, okay, so O.J. Simpson, for the people who are living under a rock for many years... Or, or, was, uh, or under 35. Under 35. <laughs> famous football player accused of killing his wife. I wasn't... I didn't, we didn't go back that <laughs> far. <laughs> he was his real name was Orenthal, but they called him the Jew. His stats in 1972. <laughs> he won the Heisman. All right, so they had this long trial, and I found out that the, uh, the, the jury was being sequestered on the weekends... There's the whole trial. They were sequestered. So yep. on the weekends, they would bring them back to the courtroom, and entertainers would come in. What? And entertain them. And I'm like, that's another thing. Another tip for performers is you got to look for opportunities. You, gotta, <laughs> you really, you got to look for it through. Right? You have to glom on to things that are more popular than you. Like we also passed knives around John Wayne Bobbitt. Remember John <laughs> Wayne yeah, Bobbitt? Yeah, yeah. So find things that are more popular than you and try okay, to glom so, on to them. So people under 35, who is John Wayne Bobbitt? Okay, John Wayne Bobbitt. I think that one needs a description. As, <laughs> okay. you know, yeah. He was a man whose uh, member was cut off by his wife because she got upset with him one night and uh. decided that that was a pr- appropriate punishment. It was reattached and he became a sort of a celebrity. Yep. And he even did a porno called Frankenweenie. <laughs> Which but, is, was that the one you were? Is that when you was, did it? Every, <laughs> every time I try and rent the Tim Burton short Frankenweenie, I always get the wrong. Yeah. My it's wife's very like, my wife's like again. No, I went the one with the dog, not the one with the weird penis. Uh, okay, so back to OJ. So I found out that they were having entertainers. So they, well, how do you get involved? You write a letter to Judge Ida, who was the judge, and you say, I want to be an entertainer and come in. That's all there was to it. So Judge Ito is also booking He's also the booker. He gets 10%. He was also booking the Laugh Factory in Hollywood, which was weird at the same time. I always thought that was that. Uh... So, so we go in. There's nothing. There's no vetting. There's no, like, don't say this, don't say that, don't use knives, don't use anything. We're bringing in giant machetes. We're bringing in, you know, garden Was there measles. any, like, don't talk about nope. the trial at all? Nothing. Nothing. So we go in there. We could have been like, hey, we're going to use these machetes. Just like the one OJ had. Yeah. <laughs> I love that when you say, look for an opportunity, that a murder, you're like, that's it. There's well, our, there's I, mean, our you know, I thought he was guilty all the, yeah, way, all yeah, the way down yeah. the road. But you know what was funny was we get there and we, I heard an uh, interview with uh, Blackwell, who was a famous fashion designer. His thing was he had the worst dress list. Yeah. That was Mr. Blackwell, they called mm. him. I don't know what his first name was. They Mr. Mr. Blackwell. Like yeah. Mr. T. First name Mr. Middle name period. Last <laughs> name T. <laughs> But he was Mr. Blackwell. Uh-huh. And he was on this show going, oh, they love me. They gave me a standing ovation, and they love my fashions, and they couldn't get enough of it. And we were talking to them, and they go, oh, God, we hate that last guy, Mr. Blackwell. <laughs> he was so boring. <laughs> but then what did he do? He just he comes in and He talks about fashion. He just oh. comes in and criticizes like, the juries. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that yeah. jean jacket is terrible. <laughs> but what's funny was, oh, I realized, oh, people can say whatever they want because the jury can't talk. Uh, so you yeah. Go, oh yeah, we killed. We were the greatest. They said we should come back every week oh, because yeah. they couldn't oh, interview yeah, the jury. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know when you do a show, like you get a gauge of the audience's level. Like if they try to heckle you yeah. or you do a joke, they go, oh, they really got that joke. This is a pretty sharp crowd. Not a sharp crowd, <laughs> but a great experience. A very. Oh, I, I was really into it. It was great to see the the, 
the, the jury room, the, the there was all this documents back in the back room. Like, what's this? In your green room where you're getting changed, you're like, and the glove nobody, does not fit. But there was nobody. Nobody saying, hey, don't mention the trial. That's wild. Don't mention OJ. Do you think that would happen today? They would be as equally as sort I don't of know. loose? I, I was so surprised there was nobody. Nobody let us in there. It was just us, a deputy, maybe a court person, and the jury. Wow. Very, very, it was very fun. Going back, like you, after Carson, I know that you got a call, you got calls, like after your appearance on Carson to... Well, we got one a... call that was really good. Okay. Yeah, because Billy Crystal had watched. The was, Tonight Show. Yeah. And we had talked to his management because he was, he was going on tour and he wanted an act that was funny, but that wouldn't step on his toes. Mm-hmm. And he thought, oh, these guys are funny and they're not doing any topical material. So that was our first big show. Uh-huh. Uh, that, our first show was Atlantic City a week at the Sands Hotel uh, with Billy Crystal. Wow. Yeah, uh-huh. 10 grand. That's great. Yeah, from guys who work in the Renaissance Fair, yeah. doing the Variety Arts Theater. Uh, we had an agent named Simone Finner, and her big number was 1500 uh-huh. Someday, boys, you'll make, you'll make 1500 a week. That was her big number. <laughs> yeah. But she had like Nino Fradiani and Dick Franco mm. and old school guys, Rudy Cardenas. Old school jugglers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she, at our first gig, she had us wear like jumpsuits, like those, you know, the circus jumpsuits. Uh-huh. So the first six months of our career with her, we wore these like like ice capes jumpsuits. <laughs> like we're doing comedy. You're like, why am, I wearing, why am I wearing skates? <laughs> it was so bad. Yeah, it was really bad. And she told everybody that she put her act together. Oh, wow. I put their act together in the basement of my condo. And she said, basically, I wouldn't pick that on the floor. I'd put that up on a, on a prop stand. Uh-huh. That was the only advice she gave us. Yeah. But don't have the props on the floor. But in her mind, she put her whole act together. She told people. I even wrote their jokes. Basically, I put that whole <laughs> act together. And all she said was, you know, have a prop stand. Were you nervous to do work with Billy Crystal? No. So, the, wow. <laughs> I like, had I'm, no nerves. I didn't care. I'm not a very uh, emotional person. Mm. I mean, I'm not a very deep thinking, feeling person. <laughs> people, you know, people who know me know I'm, I'm yeah. not really a so what? person <laughs> so in all ways. You did the opening act. You opened up for everybody. And then sort of That's that... That's a little bit of an overstatement. Well, a lot of people. I mean, okay. more, than, more than, you know... Everybody, we, we're not, we don't have time for that. Yeah. <laughs> but is, what led you into being one of the most... Well, because of, I think uh, Billy Crystal, then we went to Robin Williams because they had the same management, mm-hmm. uh, David Steinberg. I think what it was with the comedians was they, they realized, oh, we found an act that really warms up the audience well, but doesn't do any material yeah. that we... Is it going to hurt the comic? Yeah. So we ended up doing David Brenner and Jay Leno and um, Dana Carvey and Dennis Miller and uh, you know a bunch of comics. Yeah. But even musicians too, though, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. We worked not as many, but we did, uh, we did a nice tour with Patti LaBelle, which was really fun. We had a funny interchange with Paul Rodriguez, you know, the comedian, mm-hmm. Paul yeah. Rodriguez. I think one night he was drunk on stage and he's like, and they're like booing. He goes, you're drunk. He goes, I got to be drunk to face you people. <laughs> I thought, that's a good actor. <laughs> that's a good comeback. I've got to be drunk to face you people. It's like, all right. Like we, we were talking about Get him on your side. You know? But that was a good, that was the Fox, the best was the Fox Theater, which I think is in Philadelphia. This Beautiful, the- old theater, you know, great crowds. And how did you sort of transition into being like corporate entertainers, like high-end corporate well, events? Well, if, if we look at our career, uh, it went through these different stages where, where a door would shut. And like the next door would open. Like the opening act market disappeared. Literally went from 75, 80% of our work to like 5%. Like in wow. a year. This is what happens. This is what I think is going to happen too, a little bit with COVID. Is I talk about the uh, Las Vegas musician strike. Back in the day, the musicians wanted more money. Mm-hmm. And so they all went on strike. And so the producers replaced the bands with click tracks. Mm-hmm. Like maybe a drummer, but like a recorded music. Nothing changed. Like the bottom line... The attendance was still the same. They made more money because they weren't paying the band. And they never went back. Mm-hmm. Some, some went back, but most of them lost the orchestras. Mm. So there's no live music at the shows. Every review show used to have a live orchestra. Yeah. One time we went into, we were at Caesar's Palace, which we, we were lucky enough to play like three times, which was wonderful. I could tell you a story about Caesar's Palace, though, but I'll get back to it. But the, uh, no, this was uh, the Golden Nugget, or the Desert Inn. Sorry, Desert Inn. We just that, took a tour of Las Vegas. Yeah, this was old school before. The Desert Inn and Golden Nugget are gone. They were yeah. the old school places. Desert Inn was great. We did a bunch of shows there. One of my favorite places. But the guy, he comes, he goes, look, uh, we're trying this experiment where we're doing out without the opening act. And he goes, not looking good for you guys. Yeah. The 15 minutes cost them like $200,000 in the casino. Yeah. So if they can shorten the shows, they're making more gambling money. It's not just what they're paying us. Yeah, yeah. 
And then we got pretty good money opening ads. Yeah. Not corporate money, but good, good solid money. But they were losing money in the casinos. And they realized, oh, that's when they went to an evening with. We can cut it to a 60-minute show. Audience is the same. They're paying the same. Everybody's still happy. And we get that additional gambling revenue. Mm-hmm. Literally overnight, um, it went from, let's say, 5000 a gig. Our last offer was uh, 500 for a weekend with Howie Mandel in uh, Lake Tahoe. Wow. Wow. And we said, no, you can't do it. Even yeah. though he's a good guy. Yeah. Well, yeah. he did some, some solid. Didn't he like, uh, name a character on Bobby's World after you guys? I don't know about that, <laughs> but we got to tour with him in uh, Learjet uh, oh, through nice. Canada. Nice, so we got to know him pretty well. Yeah, I don't know where I got that. I think uh, there was there a was there was a Raspini. One, one time he went on the the Tonight Show and he he brought us up just on his yeah. panel. He's just like going like uh, so so uh, so how you doing, Howie? Uh, you know, I'm touring with the Raspini brothers. Raspini brothers, who are they? And they actually went on a little riff about oh, that's nice because he had a, he had a joke he wanted to do about oh, magic. Gotcha. He, he kind of led into it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. Howie goes, "Don't you remember they were on your show passing yeah. guys around around you? was like, two weeks ago?" Who's that? <laughs> Brothers. I never heard of them. Did they open for you last week? In the- <laughs> I like Jay Leno. He's a good guy. Good guy. So the door shut on the opening act. Yeah, but then okay. So what you wanted for the corporates? You wanted uh, TV footage and celebrity endorsements. Uh, and we had that like crazy. Yeah. So we had a, and we had the president's show. And we had a good act. And corporates were booming, like in the 90s, really booming. You know, They were trying to outbid each other to see who could spend the most money, it seemed like. like we, had, we had Kenny Rogers for 80000 Well, we got Billy Joel for 120000 So they were throwing money like mm. crazy, even for us. Not that kind of money. But, yeah, we but, got the Raspini brothers for... Yeah, Raspini money, yeah. <laughs> we got $30. Well, oh. yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah <exactly>. Wow. <laughs> we got them for $30. But uh, that was good. But the thing about Caesar's Palace was, the guy used to say something really funny. Uh, he used to say, uh, when we got in, uh, backstage, he'd go, the sub-stars are in position. <laughs> I like that. The sub-stars sub are in position. But we get to, get to Caesar's Palace, right? We're going to open for, I think, Howie. And uh, the, the light and sound guy is a total dick. We're thinking, oh, Caesar's Palace, they're going to be like, you know, the creme de la creme of, of everything. Guy has no time for us. He's just like, he's shoving us off, shoving us off. Like, oh, I, I'm the Caesar's, you know, I got this. We come out for our first gig at Caesar's Palace, no music. We come and introduce us. And we, we used to do like a two-minute uh, music juggling act to open our shows. Big mistake. Mm. I'll tell you about that, too. But, <laughs> well, because what that was, was uh, Dick Franco had told us, establish yourself as jugglers first, and then show that you're comedians. Because that's what he did. For us, that was the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. Was we should establish ourselves as comedians first and then juggle. So before we used to come out with this two-minute like big band, and it usually worked pretty good, but sometimes, like we did a Universal Amphitheater, and it was like two airplanes facing us. Mm-hmm. The lights were so intense. You came out there, you were just like, and you never did no rehearsal, nothing. Yeah. It was like impossible. And that was for El Puma. Uh, Jose Rodriguez, El Puma. He was a nobody. He was like a Spanish star uh, working at Universal Amphitheater who we opened for. Probably one of our worst gigs. Because nobody, you know, they're all Spanish speaking. Did you ever get like a call to open up for somebody and you're like, I have no idea who that is? Toby Keith one time? Oh, yeah. That was before he was a famous country guy. But I remember thinking, Who's this big slab of beef? <laughs> yeah. But that, but it's so funny because then we go out there, then we go, okay, we go, all right, we're going to try that again, everybody. We come out, same thing, no music. Yeah. Hey, third time's the charm. We come out and they finally play our music. And people are like, that, that opening was so funny, you guys, with the guy not playing the music. And it was just the guy being a total unprofessional Jeez. You know, at Caesar's Palace. Wow. So. So you transitioned to the corporate world, and you guys did that for years. Yeah, a good 10, 15 years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I had a good living. It was very good, very profitable. I made a nice living. Uh, Barry took care of like all the business side of things, Mm. like the the air airfares and the contracts and the you know that that side of it. Talking negotiating. Yeah, yeah. There wasn't that much negotiation. I don't think we had a certain set fee, and and a lot of times we worked through agents who we worked for the bunch. You know, uh, so they you know. We establish relationships with yeah. uh, people. Yeah, we used to do a big mailing every year. That used, that's how I used to do it back in the day. Yeah. VHS tapes, uh, brochures, 400 <laughs> packages you put together and you sent out. And, yeah, there used to be now a thing called the Cavalcade of Acts and Attractions. It was a big, uh, they might still have it. It was a big trade journal. You go through it, you know, look at it. Oh, he handles the uh, Amazing Jonathan. This guy handles Carrot Top. Or, you look for anybody variety oriented. Because mm-hmm. if you send it to someone who just handles music, they're not going to book you. Yeah. Oh, they have the amazing Kreskin, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. 
So what, and I mean, you've been doing this, what, f- over 40 years? I learned to juggle in 1974 when I was 13. Mm-hmm. And my first job was probably when I was like 16 or 17. So yeah, you know, 40s. So I've been juggling over 46 years. So what was your first job? You know, I had some cheesy jobs. I remember um, like a street fair I did. I remember this one time I was already kind of like questioning the authority of the people doing the shows. <laughs> it was like this bad circus tent at a fair. And I remember nobody was going. And I said, why don't I go out there and do some juggling in the midway where people can see me and encourage people to come over? They go, well, if they see you juggling out there, they won't pay to come in here. I'm like, well, they're not paying to come in here now. Right, Yeah. And I remember they had the oldest belly dancers in the world on that show. <laughs> I remember they did That's a show a good business. Point. Yeah. And I, did, I, did, I went to mime school because uh, when I was 17, because that was one, like, the only thing that seemed juggling oriented, Richmond Shepherd Mime School. And so my first job was as a mime, which I hated because I wanted to talk. You know? <laughs> as you can tell, I'm very talkative. It's the world's And they didn't pay mime. us. They didn't pay us. They said that one of the mimes had stolen, so they weren't going to pay any oh. of the mimes. I'm like, is that the hell it works? What? What? I think it's the producer. <laughs> I think the producer says, because he, he went, all these guys from mime school, like, didn't do nothing. I think he had, got this money, he said, oh, one of the, one of the mimes stole, we're not going to pay anybody. I'm like, is that how it works? Someone else stole, and I'm not getting paid? Yeah. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I didn't get paid. Yeah. So, 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 so that was it for you. So my first you job was like, oh, showbiz sucks. <laughs> and, no, I, I was never mime again. Mm. But it was mainly to learn the craft. And there's a couple of jugglers who came in. Uh, Gino Jones came in. Greg Dean came in. They had this audition uh, one time where all the local variety people came in. Flying Karamazovs. Like all the big name variety came in to audition. So that was really cool to see that. Yeah. Yeah. There was a great uh, mime named Flip Reed, who was probably one of the best mimes I ever saw, who died like a couple years after that in a scuba accident. But if people look on the gong show, look up Flip Reed. Wow. He's an amazing... Uh, bodybuilder thing where he'd like pretend to be lifting and he could expand his chest until he was like really big and super talented guy I was so sad to hear that he you came dis- disillusioned with the miming and you were like very ju- quick. juggling well I was juggling before then I was uh. always loved juggling I mean juggling was my thing pretty much right off the bat and then I saw Cremo on TV and I thought oh that's that, that's a, yeah. an old like an Chris old Cremo classic yeah. gentleman juggler yeah and it kind of kind of turned my head a little bit because I thought I, can, I can't do that he was very handsome, and he was, like, classy and blonde-haired and dapper. Yeah. And very, and he came from a circus family and cigar boxes and hats and right to the music. Super classy. Yeah. I'm like, oh, okay, forget it. I'm not going to be a juggler, you know? <laughs> but then I saw, like, Michael Davis and the Karamazovs and the comedy jugglers, because I loved comedy, too. Yeah. So, oh, comedy and juggling together? I could be good at that. Yeah. yeah I was good at that, yeah. 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 You are, you're still good at that. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> well, I mean, your blend was something that formed how I perform because I snuck into a casino when I was 17 oh. in Minnesota and saw... Oh, you were at that show? <laughs> I remember that show. I remember that show because that was such a long drive to ass, buck ass nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. Was uh, Jason Byrne with us? Yes. The magician? Yeah. Yeah. See, look, look at, at that. that yeah. Was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Impressive. That was... Uh, it's known, but it has the name of like a Caribbean place. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Saint, it was like St. Croix, Minnesota. It could have been St. Croix, Minnesota. It was St. Croix, Minnesota, exactly. Because <laughs> I went back there later on this other gig that was so whack. I'm going to do this uh, two-day street festival uh, over 4th of July. And the guy says, you know, the, the owner is going to take a private plane up to this gig. And I want you to go on the plane with him. So you could schmooze him on the way up there. Mm-hmm. It's like a you know, it's like eight hours away from where the, the place is gonna be. I'm like, all right, private plane, the boss. They call like two days before. Uh, the boss uh, nixed the idea of you flying on the plane with him. So now you have to rent a car and drive <laughs> the eight hours. I'm like, this is terrible. So I get up there and I'm thinking, okay, it's gonna be a big street festival. And I arrived, it was like one street with like a, a flatbed truck at the end. With these bleachers, they were on the sides of the, the sidewalk, uh. not even facing the flatbed truck. I go, I bet that's my stage. The stands aren't even facing it. And sure enough, that was my stage. And the woman goes, oh, we decided not to get a sound system this year. We wanted to save some money. So I'm like, <laughs> okay. Flatbed truck, no sound system, bleachers over here. The saving grace was nobody showed up. <laughs> nobody showed up. Literally, like maybe six people. Yeah. You know what was weird was, uh, on the second day, which I guess was the 4th of July, they had me work from like uh, till 5 o'clock. And then at 5 o'clock, it started getting crowded. Like, this was the time I should have been there. Yeah. I'm like, all right. See you later. See you later. 
<laughs> Literally, I was doing shows like five people, six people. Brutal. It was brutal. Yeah. Hot. Going back to that gig, I drove past that casino uh-huh. and I went in and I had lunch and I remember that whole, that whole thing. This is the place. That was a good show. I remember it being a good show. I had a blast. Yeah. And it's one of those, I'm like, oh, you can have jokes in with it and you don't have to be. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I tell you, Michael Davis, the Karamazovs, it opened up this whole new thing. Because before, but you had jugglers who basically was like, uh, oh, Rob Murray. He was like, oh, good show drummer. <laughs> Look, I barely moved my feet. Uh, any second, I'll be on the floor. <laughs> oh, that was a good one. You know, they didn't, it was just like little asides. Yeah. Like yeah. little, like little, and they, it was so funny. Uh, they, they used to have eccentric jugglers, which meant they juggled in a funny way. Mm. So one time we went into a uh, audition for the Ice Capades. At the time, Albert Lucas, the people, Dan Rosen, people, there were jugglers on ice. And we went in there and they, they looked at us and we started talking. They thought, oh, when you said comedy jugglers, we thought you meant you juggled funny things. Mm. <laughs> we didn't thought, we didn't think you talked. So we realized, oh, this is a new thing, this comedy juggling. Well, what's, some, what's some weird things that people would juggle as a comedy juggler? I don't know. I think they meant maybe we juggled, I'm not sure what Bananas, they meant. Bananas, shoes. I think we, they meant we juggled in a funny way. Gotcha. Like, hey. Like clowning. Like clowning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'd come out, blah, 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 blah. Hey, everybody. Yeah. I'm Slappy. And my friend Slappy McSlappy. And we're, we're the Slappy Brothers. <laughs> and my juggle is rubber chicken. But that would have been terrible. While ice skating. <laughs> While yeah. ice skating. That would have been terrible to tour at the ice capes. I heard Dan Rosen's stories about, he was on my podcast. Mm. And, did not sound like a fun experience. Yeah. Do you want to plug your podcast since you mentioned it? Uh, well, I do have a podcast. Yeah, too. what is I don't it? Know. It's uh, Drop Everything. It's uh, Jugglers. Okay. It's sponsored by the National Juggling Association. Run number 97. Ooh. Who's That'll big, be. Who's the big number 100 interview? Don't know. Yeah. It might be me. It might be John Wee interviewing me. Yeah, that'd be great. That. It um, might just be you interviewing you. It might be me interviewing me, like a different character. <laughs> yeah. So, Dan, how'd you get to be so great? I don't know. It was just a hard choice. <laughs> yeah, I see it. Yeah, that kind of thing. <laughs> I don't know where that voice came from. Maybe a pirate's interview me. Arr, so Dan, you're on the sea. No, I've never been on the sea. You've done some cruises, though, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, I have a funny cruise story. I would story. listen to about six minutes of that, <laughs> maybe. I had a funny, uh, not a funny cruise story, but one time I was on a ship. I like how you did your own segue. <laughs> <laughs> no. Actually, it's funny that you bring <laughs> up the cruise ship. It's so funny. I had uh, Dave Deeple on my podcast one time. It didn't air, but he's like, I go, Dave, you've done a lot of cruises. Any funny stories? No, not really. Okay. <laughs> really, nothing's ever happened? No. Nothing I can think of. All right, next. All right. <laughs> really? Okay. You're like, I, I had two more questions exactly. in this hour exactly. conversation. I figured that would take up the whole thing. things happen on cruises. You yeah. do cruises. Yeah. They're crazy. Well, it's not a funny story, but one time we were on a cruise, and we were the closest ship to a ship that had sunk. Uh, had recently sunk. Yeah. It was, still, it was still out there in the water. It was called the Fish it, and, and Fuel. And it was sinking while you were close to it? Or it we, we got to it, and the, the boat was... Bobbing in the water, you could see the end of it sticking out of the water. And was there people? And all start- the crew were lost at sea. Oh my god! All the crew were lost at sea. So it was so weird to be on this big ship looking over at this. They had the lights. They yeah, yeah, yeah. The lights on it. You could see the the, the bottom of the, the aft or the prow or whatever yeah. you call it bobbing in the thing, knowing everybody's dead. Everybody's, oh my god! The crew is all dead. I think it was half a dozen or, or people. And here you are on this ship. And next thing you know, like okay, back to the buffet. All right, or, let's go to the Bahamas. Yeah. yeah. You're like, we were the closest, but there's nothing they could do. Hey, folks, it's... there's a conga line up on the Lido next, deck. Like, an hour later, you're at the midnight buffet, stuff in your face. Yeah. And you're like, well, sorry. Yeah, I mean, um... I've, I've been on ships where they've someone has fallen in, and really? they've had to go over and search oh, for I never them, had and that, they, they yeah. found that. Wow. But that, I, that is yeah. bananas. That was pretty bananas. The fish and fuel, I still remember the name wow. of it. Wow. Yeah. When well, was that? 20 years ago. Yeah. 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 I've been on a cruise for probably 10 years or something. Maybe you do a renaissance man. You do everything. Like you even had a program. Not that, everything. Well, okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. He, he doesn't sorry. do roofing. <laughs> <laughs> just speaking. I don't, I don't do the roofing. Yeah. <laughs> but you had a program called the Renaissance Man, where it's like yeah. during the day you didn't want to waste time, so yeah. you wanted to sort of maximize your free time, and so you mm-hmm. got on a program where it's like you time yourself, where it's sixty. 60 minutes doing this. Well, or you that, set goals. That, you yeah. set time goals. You have used, It's called the Renaissance Man Training Program. And, you know, I, I'm always on a modified form of it in some way. Like, I always have goals. Like, if I practice, I want to practice a certain amount. Mm-hmm. So, like, right now, even though I'm not doing the, the full program, I have a, a new, new act I'm working on. So, I have a minimum of two hours per day of practice. So, I time it. So, mm-hmm. I make sure I hit my two hours every day yeah, of practice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is it two hours in a chunk, or is it just... No, it's two hours anyway. I want okay. to do it. Yeah. But I, I believe, like, uh, what, what Francis Brunn, the great juggler, said. I live by the motto of Francis Brunn. 
That's what he said. <laughs> he, he said, I live by the motto. <laughs> that's his problem. I, I, said, uh, <laughs> I should probably follow through with the motto. Yeah, <laughs> he said, show me the money. Well, that was, uh, yeah. that was Cuba Gooding Jr. And, uh, no, he said, without practice, there is nothing. I believe that. Without yeah. practice, there is nothing. And what's some other skills that you've sort of practiced that you have maybe not put into performance? But uh, Music. Yeah, yeah, I play music, uh, art, writing. Well, art, I, I write, you know. Um, you know, I play instruments and I, I draw and I uh, dance, tap dance, and uh, all kinds of talents I have. Yeah. Well, now I just heard you have a new uh, novel coming out. Uh, well, it's being proofread now. Okay. No, but then that implies there's a previous novel. Yeah, oh, I yeah. wrote. Yeah, I wrote. So there's a uh, Alex wrote about a young juggler called Alex the Great. So the writing thing was interesting because I kind of went through this process where the first book was a book of tips, mm-hmm. which was uh, you know. Perfecting and practicing your act, a thousand and one tips, and then from there I thought, okay, I want to do something about uh, my life, like a real life thing. And I became—I was a driving teacher for a year, just as a lark, uh, which I thought because I thought it'd be a fun job. I loved it. You get to meet young people and you teach them to drive, and I was really good at it. And I wrote a book uh, called *Driven to Succeed*, so they combined stories about my career with stories about driving, and also my philosophies because I have a lot of philosophies mm. that have helped me uh, hopefully become a success, I, I suppose. And um, so from there, I thought, okay, my next book should be fictional, but I want to ground it in a world that I know. So I ground it in the world of Pier 39 and street performers. Mm-hmm. So it's about a young performer who's mentored by an older performer to become a professional juggler. So this last book, I thought, okay, now I've got to the point where it should be completely fictional, mm-hmm. like nothing, just a book. And I had this uh, idea about vampires. And so the book's called Bud Suckers. <laughs> so I thought, what would happen if you grew marijuana on the grave of a vampire? <laughs> would, the, would the marijuana give you munchies for blood? Uh-huh. So that was the idea. You'd get the munchies for blood. So that was the idea I had in my head for years. Like, that's a good concept. So that's how the vampires are made, is the weed. Well, that's how, that's the effect of the weed that happens when they, when they bury it on the vampire. Gotcha. And he wants to create a, a, an army of, Weed smoking vampires, you know, type of thing. They just don't have the energy to actually find the blood, or yeah, they're so spacey yeah. they keep you know forgetting where the blood <laughs> trying is. Trying to motivate your army like, of high you know, vampires. I, I'd rather sit on the couch. You know, there's UFC fighting on, and yeah, I'd play Teen Wolf's on. Teen Wolf's on. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's being proofread now, and I'll just self publish it, and it'll probably be out in you know July. Sometime. And you can get your other three books on, on Amazon. Amazon. Yeah, yeah. But the whole thing, because you you involved in other products too. Yeah, yeah, I've also invented toys. Yeah, I'm also a toy inventor. Yeah, the volcano ball. The so what is vol- so hang on? So what is volcano ball? Because well, volcano ball was more of a juggling prop. Mm. I never really considered that a toy, but I made a lot of mistakes. And here's another good tip for you people <laughs> out there: don't assume because you like something, that other people will like it too. Mm-hmm. I love the volcano ball. To me, it was the most fun juggling. Thing yeah, it I've was ever fun. Done. It was fun. Yeah. And I thought, oh, this is easier than juggling. It's kind of like the gateway to juggling. It'll pick up. Every juggler will want to sell it after their shows. It didn't work that way. So what is what is it? It's, what a, is it's like a it's like a uh, hourglass shaped tube that has a hole that you stick your finger in on the side. Mm-hmm. It allows you to stop the ball's passage through the tube, which allows you to spin the tube. It allows you lots of tricks because what it was there was a prop. It was a, a straight tube with two balls, mm-hmm. and that prop used to be sold in old juggling magazines. And basically, you would juggle, then you let the ball just drop through the tube. Mm-hmm. You would do like a shower through the tube with two balls. That was the big trick. All right. And I thought, okay, that looks fun. Looks like my kind of thing. I thought, what if you could catch the ball on the side of the tube? If I made a little hole, a little indent, I could catch the ball on the side of the tube, give me some more options. Not realizing the ability to stop the ball going through the tube was the one that would create hundreds of tricks. So it was uh, just basically, it was, I'd sell it with two balls, this this tube, and uh, I had 5,000 of them made, and it took me seven years to get rid of them all. Okay. Or more longer, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So not a very good... Until you clean your garage and you find a box of them, you're like, darn it! I, I have three <laughs> left. What was a little left. higher skill entry point? Yeah, you know what? I knew I was, I knew I was uh, doomed because I went to a school assembly, and the kids were chasing the balls around like crazy. Mm. They had these bouncing balls, and they're like running around. I'm like, oh, this is not going to work. <laughs> It needed a ball that wasn't going to... Whenever you have a ball that people have to chase after, it's not going to be that popular. Yeah. That's why I thought of my second toy. Because I thought, okay, this one was too big. When you saw it, you had no idea what it did. So it had to be d- demonstrated. 
I need a toy that's pocket size, where the ball is attached, where you know what it does. That's how I came up with mm-hmm. the ring dama. So I thought, oh, people probably they go, oh, it's a uh, it's a, a cup and ball game that you wear like a ring. Mm-hmm. So that was my twist on it. Yeah. And this, oh, it's like the kendama. Well, it's like see, the kendama. That, that you, that's because you just told me what it was in half a sentence, where the volcano ball was a little bit. More. I can say that was the big mistake. <laughs> now the big mistake with the the ring dama was the fact that it didn't entrance people. It didn't enchant them. Mm. Meaning it, it wasn't something that universally people liked. And they didn't have an initial success with it. And then when the, the, I sold it to Zing Toys, so the story is this. So I, I invent this toy. I immediately think I've got a million-dollar idea. I thought this could be as big as the yo-yo. It's like a, a ring that has the cup and ball. This is going to be huge. I immediately started spending money on patents, trademarks, like a crazy person. You know, uh, I get um, Kuma Films to make the video. I get a website. I, I rack up like $23,000, maybe $26,000. So now you're way married to this thing. Well, because yeah, the yeah. patents, you don't realize what a scam patents are. I must have spent 16000 on patents. And it's a total scam, mm-hmm. right? So I go to, to New York where they have a thing called Toy Fair, and I know I have to make a deal with somebody. If I, if I have $25,000 in this, and I'm trying to sell these ring damas like, out of my garage... This is going to be a nightmare. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? So I never want to be like the Ring Dama guy. Like, I'm in a van traveling around across the world. <laughs> there was a guy, uh, he did a thing called the, it was like a hand foot bag. Uh, the Miyachi. The Miyachi. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I saw he's like a little thing. He's like, he's like in a van. He's like going to colleges. Hey, try the Miyachi. It's brutal. brutal. So I thought, oh God, I'm going to be stuck with, this is the only time I've ever invested money because I'm a really practical guy about investing money. But I just thought, I'm a genius, which I'm not. Uh, then, so I go to, to Toy Fair, and there's one guy, only one guy. I go, okay, that's the only guy I can make a deal with. Sure enough. I Was the, that guy? Zing Toys? Zing Toys, oh, yeah. Okay, okay. Because the thing is, the, is, there's a book by Malcolm Gladwell. It's called The Tipping Point. It talks about timing. And in show business, like our timing was great, the rest yeah. of the brothers. Great timing. The best year to be born was 1958. I was born in 61. But that, if you look at the arc of... Show business, the comedy boom, the corporate boom, and now where things are at. You want, to be, you want that arc. Yeah. That was a perfect arc for yeah. us. So I go to this guy. This is at the end of the fidget spinner craze. So everybody wants little pocket-sized mm. toys. And this guy already has a line of toys he's calling Everyday Play, where he's taking regular skill toys and making them LED. Mm. Like he has that, um, it's like a roller thing you roll on the table. It's like a little roller. Mm. I forget what it is. It's not very popular. Another one was the Beglary, uh, which they called the Thumbchucks, which was two balls on a string. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they were taking regular skill toys and making them LED and calling them different things. So they had the Thumbchucks were just Beglary LED. So the guy saw my thing and thought, I could use the same ball that I used for the Thumbchuck and make that thing LED, and it would fit perfectly in with my mm. line. Mm. So this guy was already going, this is perfect. Nice. And then, then I, what was lucky was... Because I had spent so much money, the video was sweet. I had a really nice video. I had a really nice website. The guy thought this thing had a lot of legitimacy. Those people, wow, this thing already exists. I can just grab it, turn it LED. But he put it in a package that you can't really tell what it does. Mm. You don't, can't even tell how you, it's a ring. Oh, wow. And I'm like, oh, that's going to fail. And it, Yeah, one year it failed. But they sold it to Walmart, and they made a big deal with Walmart. And my first check was fifty-four thousand dollars. Nice. Wow. Nice. My second check was twelve, and the next one was like three. And then, so, but I made. Oh, so like, you're still getting a percentage then, of the sale? Not the, anymore. The last one came postage due. They probably still owe me money, but they probably owe me like twelve hundred bucks. Uh, and I'm not gonna, you know. And you, you don't see them around though. No, it was only Have one you ever been walking down the street and like no. seeing some like some kid messing with the ring dama? No. I went to Walmart. Ball? I saw it in Walmart. Oh, that's that cool. Was exciting. That's a super exciting. Yeah. Super exciting. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, to get a toy in Walmart was pretty cool. That's awesome, man. And they say only 3% of inventors make money. So to actually make money was cool. Right? Yeah. yeah. Congrats. I That's probably huge. made about 67000 70000 And you're working on one right now, right? Yeah, I have a new toy that I just got involved with a new toy company. I'm not doing Zing. I'm doing a different toy company. And this one I'm putting no money into. Great. Right off the bat. They're going to do the patents for me. You're just going to develop it all for yeah. them? I'm picking up the, another prototype on Thursday. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to develop the prototypes to where it can be patentable. Mm. Now I know what's patentable, what features you have to have, things like that. So uh, I'll get to that point, 
and then they're going to do what they call a provisional patent, which which covers it for a year, mm -hmm. only about fifteen hundred dollars, maybe two thousand tops. Then they'll test it with their with their clients, and also the viability of manufacturing it, because in the toy business they want like a five time return on investment, meaning if it costs you two dollars to make, they want to sell it for ten dollars, mm. right? Because usually they retail it. So they're going to wholesale it at half price. There's a lot of people that are making money along the way. Well, if you're going to sell it for $5, it costs you $2. You're really going to sell it for $5 to most stores who then are going to retail it for $10. Yeah. So if they want to sell this product I'm going to make, let's say for $12, and they go, oh, we can't make it for less than $6, it will fail. It's out. It's out. Yeah. Or if the clients go, the customers go, no, we don't want this. It will fail. Yeah. So, but realistically, I have like four or $500 invested in it. And if they pick it up and they put in their line of toys and put it out as a toy could be the upside is, is tremendous. Well, that's what I, I, I love about knowing you over the years is like, it's not just about performing. You're like you're excellent at performing and doing your shows, but you're also always dabbling in other things, you know, writing books, creating products, you know, real estate, investing money. It's like you always have a vision towards the future. And yeah, I've always respected that about you. It's pretty oh, amazing. Yeah. Well, it's all the same thing. I mean, as far as, like, you look at, uh, there was a good interview with Grace Slick, uh, the singer of the Jefferson Airplane, and they said, uh, now that you're not singing, don't you miss performing and being on the stage and being creative and being, you know, a performer? And she's like, my job wasn't to sing, my job was to be creative. You take, now she's an artist, she's a painter. Mm -hmm. She says, you take away my paints, I will, I'll draw on this, this dirt. I'll do flower design. So to me, it's all about uh, seeing potential and seeing opportunity and trying to be creative in my approach to life and my approach to juggling and performing. and Because as you see in my, my routines, there's a lot of... In fact, I have an article this month in the eJuggle magazine called Why Is There Only One West Peden? Where you see there are people who are very creative in juggling who've come up with thousands of tricks, like West Peden, and other people have come up with zero. Same in magic. Mm -hmm. With magic, you don't have to create anything and to be a professional magician. Because mm -hmm. there's, there's a lot of stuff already existing. So I consider myself more as a creative person who used juggling as my template. So now whatever I can become skilled at can become my template to express my original thought and my creativity. Of course, juggling is my main tool because it's my most uh, developed skill uh -huh. and most versatile. And also the one that I was getting paid to do. Yeah. Where stuff like writing, I'm finding it very difficult to make any money. Mm. And I'm very uh, commercially driven. I want to be a commercial artist in everything I do. Not because of the money, but because the fact that you're creating something that has value to other people. Yeah. I've always lived by a very simple philosophy of two circles, like a Venn diagram, where it's one circle is this is what I want to do. The other circle is this is what the world will pay me to do. So where they overlap, like with comedy, this is what I think is funny. This is what other people agree is funny. That's where I'll live in my performing. Yeah. Some people are like, I think this is funny. Screw the audience. The circles don't ever intersect. <laughs> Other people are like, they'll do anything the audience wants, and those are the hacks. Yeah. yeah. So I like to think of myself as a commercial artist, meaning I, want, I only do things that, that satisfy me, but I'm not ego-driven to say, I like this. I don't care if anybody else doesn't like it. Yeah. I want to be a popular, like my books. I want people to read my books and go, I enjoyed that. Yeah. Mm. That was entertaining. Not, I slugged it out because I paid $11 for or it. Or I read it because you wrote it. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I wanted to see what you did. Mm. Everything I do is meant to be entertaining. You know, the, I, do, I do puzzles too. I do yeah. quipsles. Yeah, yeah. Is my version of a word game, which I do. Uh, today was the 113th of the year. I do one Monday through Friday, a word game on my Facebook. What, was, what was today's quipsles. puzzle? Today was uh, LA, uh, Cities in the United States. Okay. Yeah. And how many do you have of those that are backlogged? Like how many do you have? Zero. So you just come up with them that day? Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, I write them every morning. Does that come out of a writing exercise that you were like, I'm going to challenge myself to... No, it's just, it. once again, the, I want everything I do, I want to have my own version of it. Mm. So I want a toy. I want a prop. I want a word game. Mm. Whatever it is. I want a puzzle. I, want to, I have a new idea for an invention that I'm going to do. Sweet, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm, that's me. I'm an, an idea guy. <laughs> Ideas are your, are your lifeblood as a performer. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Well, we, we don't want to take up all your time, but people can find you at danholtzman.com. The drop Holtzman. Danholtzman.com. When people say Holtzman, they always think it has a T in it. Yeah, yeah. It's just H-O-L-Z. No T. No T. Drop Everything Podcast. You can get that on iTunes. Last name, Holtzman. No T. No T. <laughs> no T. First name, Mr. <laughs> Middle name, Dan. 
And there's tons of videos on YouTube. Of no Dan. more questions. That's it. You have no more questions. Yeah. For me? You got Dan here. You got no more questions. I got more. I got, you know, Go Academy Awards. How was that? Oh, it's fun. Yeah. But, you know, that was when they have the technical division. So it's not part of the actual gotcha. ceremony. ceremony. But they have, like, you know, this was given away in the ceremony before. Yeah. Uh, Renee Zellweger was the host. She was very pretty. How was she to interact with? <laughs> Didn't interact with her at all. Oh, okay. Didn't she was she was very not known. Uh, had no interaction. With yeah, her. yeah. That's why I had her doing the technical awards. But she was very pretty, and I remember <laughs> saying, "Wow, she's very, very stunning in person," and did a very nice job. It was really fun because it's the Beverly Hills Hotel. Uh, it, was, it was a good show for us. When you look back on your career, what are the things that stand out to you? Like where you're like, "Wow, like we did that," or Oh, we got to perform with that person, or wow, that was an amazing experience yeah. that no one else will. What's be in the, able What's going to be in the obituary? Well, I think okay. So, probably the first exciting experience was uh, performing for Adnan Khashoggi. We were at a Renaissance fair. I was like 19 years old, right? And this woman comes up to us, and she's like, "Oh, you must come to Europe to perform for my father." I'm like, okay, sure, sure, drunky lady. And she goes, "My private secretary will call you tomorrow." And sure enough, this woman calls us. <laughs> And it turns out this was Nabilia Khashoggi. Her father was Adnan Khashoggi, who at the time was the wealthiest man in the world. He's an Iranian arms merchant who subsequently became very infamous as an arms merchant and a pretty bad guy, like mm-hmm. a universally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Khashoggi, I think he's the cousin of the, the, the journalist. The journalist, yeah. yeah. So Khashoggi's a very big name. But this is for Google and everything. We had no idea who this guy was. So like, okay, either we're going to go to Greece, Africa, or Marbella, Spain. So here I'm 19 years old, dressed in tights at the Renaissance Fair, and they're saying, okay, you're going to go to Greece, Africa, or Marbella, Spain to perform for this guy. They're going to fly you first class. I'm thinking, this juggling thing is okay. <laughs> so that was probably our first big adventure. We, we ended up going to Marbella, Spain. Uh, they put us up at the Hotel del Golf, the same hotel that Sean Connery was staying at. So you see Sean Connery at the bar, like 007's there at wow. the bar. Wow. Did not talk to him. Drinking gin and tonics. I don't know. Yeah, maybe shaking that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I didn't, did yeah. not go up to <laughs> Sean Connery. He seemed very intense. Uh, like he did not bother Sean Connery. I mean, it just seemed like he's there. Do not talk to Sean mm. Connery. Uh, but we missed the big party. So they kept us there for four days just at, the, at his whim. Because eventually we're going to perform maybe for he'll want yeah. you. And then finally they go, okay, today's the day. We ended up performing at like three in the morning on his disco. He has a private disco in his mansion for like him and his family, like for eight people. And we asked for like $1,500. <laughs> we had no idea. We could have got 15000 Oh, yeah. And how did it go? They doubled it. They said, look, here's $3,000. How did the show go? It was fun. It was fun. It was casual and easy. And we're knocking cigarettes out of his... Kid's mouth. I don't know why we did that. We so did. Like you're you're seven. No, we're knocking him out. Oh, he was the kid was smoking. He just walked up and smacked it out. No, you're we, too we young had to trick smoke. Where you juggle. You knock yeah, the cigarette yeah. out of someone's yeah. mouth. I think because we were just sort of we wanted to milk our material. Yeah, and we were dressed in, Renaissance, in our Renaissance fair outfits. <laughs> that's how that's what they wanted. Oh wow, that's how we just okay. dressed in the Renaissance. So you, fair you got that? What's is what's some other ones that I think uh, touring with Howie Mandel and the Learjet uh, for a couple of weeks in Canada was really nice. Yeah, very show busy where you do the show. Then you all go to the airport, and you get on the Learjet, and you fly to the next city. And they did a fun thing where their pilots, they would take off almost straight up in the air, and then level off, and you could float in the Learjet for like 20 seconds. Oh, wow. Very illegal. You weren't supposed to do it, but Howie loved it. Yeah. (laughs) And one time I did a backflip. I was able to get up in the air, turn all the way over, and get back to my seat while I was still weightless. Jeez. And they put on Pink Floyd and, and... and he was very straight, but me and Barry would, you know, after our show, would probably do be up a little bit. Uh, and they'd be on the, the Learjet listening to Pink Floyd. There's Howie. Floating. There's his road manager. Uh, this guy, Nick Thurber. No, Rob, Nick Light and Rich Thurber. Nick Light, his, his, uh, his, I think his brother is Rob Light. Very big agent. Mm-hmm. Uh, big, good guys, good guys. I think Rich Thurber might still be with Howie. He was like his assistant. And how was your time with uh, opening up for Robin Williams? Was that, was that on the list? Does that make the list? Oh, or? yeah, for sure. The thing with Robin Williams, especially the first show, so, like I said, we Billy Crystal had the same management as Robin Williams. His first show is like a four or five thousand seat uh, college date that we're going to do with him, and they take us backstage. And the, David Steinberg, there's also a famous comedian named David Steinberg, but this was a different David Steinberg. He says uh, we had Bobby McFerrin was our last opening act. He goes usually they would uh, chant him off, you know, Robin, Robin. Go, look, we want you to do 25, 30, because then we can sell merch afterwards or take a break. 
If you only can give us 10, 15, give us what you can. They expect us to go out there and get, get basically yeah. Robin Doc. Yeah. And we went out there and killed it. Wow. And subsequently, and we could hear Robin backstage. <laughs> like laughing like crazy. Yeah. And he even introduced us, which was nice. He would introduce us every night. Uh, my friends from Russia, whatever he says, yeah, like crazy yeah. every night. And uh, so be able to do that. But by that time, we had gone through the Renaissance fairs. You know, we did, our record was 21 shows in two days. Wow. At uh, wow. Dickens and Galveston. So we would crank them out. At the Renaissance fair, we'd do eight or nine shows a day. Jeez. And, you know, and just, they're all building crowds. They're all building a crowd. And you're probably yeah. just cutting your teeth. How much of the material later in your career was still from stuff that you created well, it's, then? it's funny. We had a few routines that could be seven minutes or they could be half an hour. Like we had uh, the apple and carrot routine, which we did early on, which we stopped doing. The, the club passing, which could be like 20 minutes sometimes. Barry's ping pong balls and a knife pass around. Uh-huh. So for a long time, that was our set. Whether we needed six minutes or 40 minutes. We would just milk it. Yeah. And we were the masters of milkage. Uh, we did like 20 minute club passing act or 30 minutes. It's <laughs> <just> crazy. <laughs> crazy. But uh, that was fun. I didn't really get to know him very well. I wish he was, he had two modes, I thought. One was very on and one was very removed, very mm-hmm. kind of quiet. Uh, other, other performers like Dana Carvey is like you just sit with him, you're like, He's your, you know, he's a guy. He's yeah. Chad. Gary Shandling was the best. Mm. The nicest, yeah. I'd say he was, a, him and Dana Carvey were the two nicest. A Roseanne Barr and Paul Anka were probably the two worst. <laughs> Just for being not nice people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's been, it's, I mean, it's been amazing to, I mean, I've been. You don't even scratch the surface. I've been a fan of the Raspini Brothers since I started. There's so much more that we've done. Getting to know you <laughs> and seeing the the all the videos of all your appearances and all the stuff that you've done and. It's hilarious, and I anyone who hasn't seen them go go on YouTube and check it out. They are quite amazing. Yep, and uh, you've been an inspiration to both Louis yeah. and I. I helped you a lot, man. <laughs> you have helped me quite a bit. <laughs> you and that Alex Zerby, mostly, both of you guys. mostly just telling us how bad we were. <laughs> what was that? When Regu- I you guys when I first met you, I think I said regularly. Uh, you guys, you guys don't have any, no potential. Uh, my, you guys don't suck them. My favorite or? two quotes are: "You guys don't have." Any potential, or no, you don't have no potential yeah, at all. Yeah, you have some potential. You don't have no potential <laughs> then, at all. And then eventually he said, well, you guys are getting better. But you, just, you, you still you're, suck. Your ceiling's here. You should just be the kings of the guys who suck. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think I said <laughs> that. that. Was a, we that should was be a, the kings of the guys who don't suck. Don't shoot for yeah. the stars. Just be yeah. better than the people who are really I knew bad. you guys were going to break up two years before they did. <laughs> years before. <laughs> I was behind the scenes going, you can do better, Matt. Yeah. Alex would go, you can do better, Alex. Like behind the scenes. Both <laughs> you're whispering in both ears. In both ears. Yeah, I mean. You know, you know what it is? Because as a team. There has to be two things. You have to have either equity, which means you're making more money than you'd make as a solo. Because the first time you go on a cruise ship and you get half of that pay and you see someone who's not as good as you get twice as much money as you, you better like your partner a lot. So it's either Ah. equity or real friendship, like where you really like each other and it's much more fun to go out. Like with Barry, I had a combination. Like we're friends. But the money kept us, yeah, yeah, together. Yeah, because probably I mean we're friendly, we're friends, but you know there were moments where if we were making a lot of money, it might have been, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I think I'm gonna go. But then there were years I I did 95 percent solo one year when Barry moved up to San Mm. Francisco, and I did cruises, and and then Barry quit. Really, like eight years ago, we started slowing way down. That's when I started doing those gigs like Korea. Uh I went to China. I went to Dubai. I went to. just places Barry wouldn't have gone because mm. the money wasn't there. Yeah. I wanted to do tourism. And that's a great thing is if you like, you know, performing tourism. But I tell you, that last gig to China, when I realized the hang was dead, I'm like... What about when we were in Korea together? The hang was great. That was good. Yeah, the yeah, hang that was, was awesome. Good. Yeah, that was good. Yeah. But see? it didn't seem like you and I were those kind of guys that were on our computers all the time. No. No, we just weren't those guys. I just remembered that they, the client, the people running the festival that we were at were upset like because we wanted to go do... They were some, terrible. Yeah, it was really bad. They had bad. this gig where, okay, first of all, they all wanted us to leave together. Like they had a bus. And it was like, wait for this, this other act, the Chinese. Remember we get there. So this is, this is their idea. Okay. There's going to be a street festival in Pohang, Pohang, South Korea. They go, okay, we're going to have six stages. So every act's going to have plenty of time. You're going to have half an hour between every act. Sounds great. We go to the street. Here's a big main stage where they have the Chinese opera. The first street performing stage is like 20 yards away. You go, that's not going to work. Yeah. Either they're going to complain or we're going to be drowned out. Boom, down to like three stages because we lost half of them. Now everybody's back to back now. 
trying to get through our shows, and the sound systems are terrible, the light systems are terrible. It's basically a tsunami's coming, so it's humid. It's so humid that when you see the rain, you can't feel it. So you're juggling. You think, I would never juggle in rain like this in a real situation. But it's so, you can't feel it, so you're there. There's no lighting. The sound sucks. There's humidity, like almost 100%. I thought it was a blast. <laughs> no, oh, the course, show sucks. The, uh, the show sucked, yeah, too. I, ha- I hated the show, but I mean. Because the audience was really bad. But the, I thought hanging with you, and I thought the hang there was a lot more fun. Like you we, and I were hanging. Yeah, we broke off from the group oh, and yeah, went yeah. did random stuff, but I don't think they would ever have us back because we were like, we don't want to come to your workshop. Well, they, all, they wanted or... to go like, like come to the, the the rehearsal for the Chinese opera. It's three hours long. Like, no, I thanks. Go to the rehearsal. Yeah. But the worst was they wanted us to wait like a couple hours after you've done shows and you're sweaty like crazy. You're in this crowded area, and if you didn't do a show because we were passing the hat, if you're doing your show when those fireworks start going off, forget about it. Yeah. So everybody was pushing to try to get their show in before the fireworks because the tips were lousy. Oh, it's br- it was brutal. It was brutal. But yeah. it was fun. I love this kind yeah, of man. gigs. I had a blast. Yeah. I always say embrace the suck. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you have to embrace the suck on yeah. those gigs. It was fun. And that's yeah. what we were trying to do. But we weren't we weren't those guys on the computers. Yeah, no. You go now and you you just you're sitting there, everybody's on their individual device. Yeah. You're going, This ain't showbiz. Yeah. Sorry. Well, Dan, this has been awesome. We really appreciate you coming. This is in, showbiz, Dan. This is it. This is it. Yeah. This, this is it. This podcast is showbiz. I like how you're like this podcast. Everyone, we're both on laptops and yeah, you're I know. you. Yeah. Oh, we're here. We're here together. I'm actually watching soccer. Are you watching soccer? I watch I, UFC. Well, actually, that's on. Are you guys UFC fans? I just watched the last one. I haven't watched it in forever. Really? Yeah. I'm a big UFC fan. That surprised people. I love Ultimate Fighting. Okay, we have to wrap this up. Next guest is coming in in a couple oh, minutes. not here yet. Where are they? What did you guys think of the fight last week? <laughs> we haven't even gotten it. <laughs> this is where you ended out, obviously. But there might be some gems still. Thank you, Dan. Thank you. <laughs> I don't need to tell you how to do a podcast, do I? This is the part you edit out. Uh, All right, I'm hitting stop now. Oh, don't say stop yet. <laughs> We want to thank you for listening to the Moisture Festival podcast. If you haven't bought tickets yet for the festival, you can do that at moisturefestival.org. You can also find out information about volunteering or supporting it financially as well. Just click on the contribute button. You can also find Moisture Festival. They are on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube if you want to check out more details on any of those social network sites. If you want to find out more information on Louie and I, we do a podcast together that is completely different than this podcast and it is called the odd and off beat podcast and you can find that on any platform that you get your podcasts at if you would like to find out information on louis and i's shows you can do so by visiting louis site which is louis fox with two x's Dot com. And Matt Baker's site, ComedyStuntShow.com, spelt the way you would expect it to be spelled. Yes. And we want to thank all the volunteers, performers, sponsors, donors, board members, producers of the Moisture Festival for helping make this thing happen. Absolutely. A lot of moving parts, and they do a wonderful job at creating a very unique experience that you cannot get anywhere else. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Moisture Festival Podcast, and stay moist.